Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome back to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and it's starring yours truly, Jason Carapesi, alongside my trusty companion, friend, sometimes lover, maybe, who knows, Paul Gillieri. Hello. Hey, what's up, buddy? Good to see you, Jason. Desperate times, desperate measures, my friend. Not that desperate. (laughs) (laughs) We are quarantined. We are still quarantined. My wife would have words with you. Yes, as as would mine. Um, (laughs) So we are doing a show here, and it's kind of in reaction to something that's happened recently. Uh, there have been a lot of artists out there and, and celebrities in general that are doing a lot of charitable things. They're doing a lot of um, you know, uh, help for food banks and healthcare workers, what have you. And Pearl Jam is no exception. And there was a, a video out um, recently uh, starring our favorite frontman, Eddie Vedder. And in the 11 minutes, he spoke to us about a giveaway, a basically a raffle-type charitable giveaway. And they called it the All-In Birthday Package. Um, it's incredible. Am I, am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. It's outstanding, uh, actually. It, <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to rattle down the list of things that one can win with uh with this challenge now it is like i said a raffle type thing so basically the more that you donate the more entries you get kind of like an omaze sort of thing it's up on um i guess fanatics is doing it i gotta find the actual all in if you just search all in challenge pearl jam you'll you'll get it but anyways here are the things that you uh can win so um 100 of the money is goes to um Feeding America, Meals on Wheels, World Central Kitchen, and No Kid Hungry. So that's the good part. Now, the selfishly good part is that you and a guest will attend a Pearl Jam show in the future. You get round-trip um, coach airfare for, for the Baldias. Um, the winner also gets a band-signed fellow t- Fender Telecaster, which, if you don't know, is the primary guitar for one Eddie Vedder. Um, you and the guests will then get to go to the 4 p.m. sound check and this is key, and we'll talk about this later. A little, little illusion here is we will t- you will talk with Ed on the set list. You'll work with him on the set list. That's very cool. Um, you will also get to watch the first half of the show from Amazing Seats and, and also the Soundboard Pit. So you get to watch how that all goes together. And then the second half of the show, you get to be on stage. Um, and apparently, he said that you can maybe get, bring him a guitar or help him with a mic or something like that. If it was me, I'd probably try and play a song with him. Um, you get to stay in a hotel and there is something else, but that's basically the, ju- the um, meat and potatoes of it. Yes. When Jason, you, uh, something's happening in my, in my pants right now. Is it? Yeah, exactly. That's, this is insanity. I, what they're doing is just, I cannot imagine a better way to, uh, excite the fan base than to, to throw a raffle like that together in, in service of such a great cause. But I mean, it's just a tremendous way, especially with everything that's going on right now. Unbelievable. I mean, if you weren't already jonesing to go to one of the shows, 
just in general. I mean, we, we were both due to go to the Los Angeles shows just a couple of weeks ago and, you know, we're dying to go to them. Uh, I'm still waiting to see if Ohana festival is a thing in September, but anyways, you know, any one of those prizes on their own is pretty awesome. I mean, going, getting free tickets to the show. Amazing. Signed band guitar. Amazing. All those things. Tremendous. Any I mean, one of them would have been enough. <laughs> I, I, here's $10. Give me some entries, you know? Um, so when I was watching that, I was like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. And I, I sent the video to my wife and she goes, holy shit, you have to have this. And I go, I know. So I imagine you were probably a similar, um, reaction. I, I did actually. Um, you know, it's not unfamiliar to see bands giving away merchandise, signed merchandise, uh, used, you know, show used merchandise, things like that. Uh, even inviting fans to a show, but to involve you in a process, specifically the set list, that's the part that really reached out to me. And the reason why is because as anybody who's listening to this knows every Pearl Jam show is a different set list. And I think that is what makes watching them so unique. It's why if they're in your town for two or three or even four nights, it's why you want tickets to all four. Exactly. Because it, it, it's, it's going to feel like an entirely new experience every time. There's, there's not a lot of redundancy with this. And, and so this is, this is the trick with, with, uh, especially with the wife trying to convince her that you need to go to all the shows that you, you, you do. Yeah, I know it, um, it, it's, I have to convince my wallet of that too, but of course, <laughs> but, but, but nonetheless, uh, I always win those debates. Which I think, is, which I, is think nice. I said convince the wife because in my mind, she's the one that's uh, reigning in your wallet. Yes. Right? Yes. I, I don't disagree with you. There. I just figure it out. You know, uh, <laughs> it's on the credit card. We'll pay for it later. It's fine. You can't, you can't put a price on this experience now. Can I go you, to San you, Diego? You, you really can, man. You really cannot. And so, go, go ahead, ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Well, I was going to say that the set list element to me, I, I think, is the most intriguing, only because I'd love to sit down with Ed and just first watch his process and say, okay, here we are in this town, this city, this day, this evening, whenever the show is. What inspires the set list? Is it something that, you know, is it related to the town that he's touring? Uh, is it based off of, you know, just stuff that he's reading about? Uh, conversations that he has with roadies and his manager and all that. I mean, like, wh where is it coming from? And so to be able to sit and just kind of watch the process unfold and then be a part of it on top of it is just, uh, to me, that is by far m more invaluable than, than anything signed, any, anything tangible I could walk away with. It, 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 in no way, shape or form does it compare to the experience of sitting down with the band like that. Not to go on a tangent, but I, I one time I, I read an interview with uh, Lars Ulrich from Metallica who said he often, at least most recently, they have decided to do their set list based on what's trending on Spotify in that local area. So if, oh, if Disposable nice Heroes is a hot your, track, your, your listener, <laughs> exactly. Like that's kind of a smart thing to do because they kind of change half their show every night as well. But I digress. The, I think, we both agree that the set list thing is kind of like the little cherry on top of an amazing sure. Sunday surprise. So why don't we then just for the sake of argument, assume that Ed is going to give us five songs to pit, to put on the, on the set list that he will not veto. They will figure it out if they don't know it very well and play it in soundcheck and sort it out, but they'll play it five songs. 
what do you have on these five songs and tell me why? That's a great question. Thank um, you. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> when I think about something like that, I'm sitting there, I get the opportunity to throw five up there. Uh, it's almost like, you know, one for each band member, right? <laughs> um, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, okay, what would those songs be? So for me, they're, they're songs that I would look forward to hearing when I'm waiting in line to get in. You know, there's songs in my head. I'm thinking, man, I really hope they play this. So here would be my five. So first and foremost, Black has got to be on the set list. It's it's my favorite Pearl Jam song. It's the one song that I hope is on every set list of any show I ever attend. Uh, there, there was a period in my life where, you know, you could basically acquire any live show they've done since 2000. So I wouldn't buy a show if it didn't have that song on there. Hmm. I'm past that now, but uh, that's how much I love the song. And so that one would absolutely have to be there. I would say Nothing Man is my number two. It, it's just, I adore the song, but one thing about it that I, I would I would probably make a special request that would most assuredly lead to, to Ed giving me like a sideways glance, like hmm. this this guy, <laughs> this guy over here. Uh, but basically, I, I'd want him to plug in for this one, but not with distortion. I feel like we either hear it and it's just like muddy and distorted when they play it or it's an acoustic track. Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear that kind of like warm kind of, you know, semi-acoustic plugged in, just, just you want, vinyl sound. You want basically more or less an album cut. Well, not exactly. Because that, that's a I, very warm sound. It is warm sound, but I, I feel like I imagine that song with a bunch of lighters in the audience with that sound, I want to see organically what happens. I just feel like the song would come alive in a way. There's a great version of um, Thin Air that they have, which one of these days we'll get to, where he just elevates a certain set of lyrics in that song. And it's the only version of it that I've heard him do that. And it was something about, I don't know, whatever he was thinking about that day or the interaction with the fan base that day. But I, I want to hear the song played this way, Nothing Man, because something tells me that it's going to elicit a reaction and there's going to be a, some degree of connection that, that it's going to allow for something spontaneous and interesting to occur. And it's one of my favorite songs and I just would love to hear it played that way. Um, so that would be two. Number three is this one gets a little tricky uh, right now. I'm leaning towards comeback off mm. of uh, avocado. Uh, I think it's, it, it's a gorgeous song. It's a beautiful showcase for, every member of the band on a lot of levels but more, more specifically i love the way it climaxes towards the end that crescendo and, and his falsetto at the end and it, there's a certain like bluesy quality to it yep. that you you don't get as much of with pearl jam and uh, it, it's it's a quality that i loved on temple of the dog and i feel like that there's there, there's a part of the band's playing style that when they embrace that sound, like like you hear on Temple of the Dog, they nail it. And we just, I, it's just funny. We don't really get that a lot from them. You know, we get the whole like dad punk thing. Uh, we get a lot of the hard rockers. We get a lot of the, the ballads, not traditional ballads like Sirens, but just more, more slow tempo, mid tempo songs, things like that. But we don't normally hear that bluesy sound. And so for me, that track has always been a standout and I'd love to hear it. Um, I'd say number four, right now, <clears throat> I'm leaning towards Brother, which is a B-side. Nice. Off of the, uh, the, the 10 era. 
it's it's one of my favorite just you know pound them and grind them songs um you never hear it you know so it's a song that i, I would love to hear live if they had a two minute too, too much up in the set you know and eddie's mm-hmm. like hey I, I need a down tempo song to be honest with you i i would lean towards acoustic number one it's it's a song that it just has a lot of ed rambling basically it's off of the pearl jam 20 soundtrack and i don't think they've ever played it live and it's a song that i'd love to hear them just kind of explore you know just paint that canvas together mm-hmm. and see what happens um he rambles in lead better anyway so it's not, he doesn't have he doesn't have to have lyrics for it you know but it, it's it, there's something really intimate about it. it it feels like you're on the bus with them you know and i'd love to hear kind of just him on the stage just bring stone out and, and you know just play the two of them together that'd be really cool because there was a period where the whole band would leave and ed would just stick around and right. he'd do his thing and i think this it would be neat to see you know, either Ed and, and Jeff or Ed and Stone, you know, Ed and somebody and just do something really intimate like that. Uh, my last one might surprise you, actually, right? Because so far I'm kind of pulling some throwbacks. Uh, Immortality almost edged out uh, comeback just because it's one of my favorite songs that they've ever done. But for the last track, believe it or not, I, I would absolutely go with Retrograde which might surprise you because it's off the new album and it's very fresh, right? Hasn't had a lot of time to marinate yet with the fan base or with me for that matter. But that song to me has already quickly become what I think is one of the greatest tracks that I've ever recorded. There is a, a swelling euphoric feeling I get when I hear the end of that song that I, I, if, if I died and somebody said, what is a soundtrack to your life? Like, that is the moment where they scatter my ashes out to the sea. You know, hope I could just see the sun parting through the, through a cloudy day. You know, something I'm like queuing that. your video eulogy up right now. Exactly, right? So, <laughs> but you hear that. It, it literally feels like you are ascending to a transcendental plane, man. I mean, just to a better place. There's something so... Um, euphoric and epic about that and it's it's something in their music I have been waiting for for a long time and to finally get it and to get it in a way that I don't think um, technically and certainly not in terms of the maturity of the band that we ever would have heard in the last handful of albums possibly Lightning Bolt but definitely no earlier than that I just don't think they were as a band in the kind of place they needed to be to record this song so those would be my five for sure Okay. Um, all those choices work for me, and I will see any one of them, including Immortality, any day of the week. Uh, we have one song that's the same. Only one. Only I one. Love it. Only one. Now, my, I'll give you my process first. My process is basically the complete opposite of yours. My process it. is that I. Basically, if I have not seen this song or or seen it like once or twice, that was in the running because I want to be able to fulfill as much as best I can the the catalog. Okay, so, so, so you, you're you're taking this the stat tracker approach here, huh? I so the, if you didn't know, there's an app called PJ Stat Tracker done by. Um, a guy I know named Jeff Blagg, he um, met him over on the Red Mosquito forums on the Skyscrape website. Um, 
God, it must have been like 15, 20 years ago. No, I am old. Um, <laughs> but anyways, I just spoke to him recently because I was wondering about the app. And he said he's actually working on a big upgrade this year. Oh, so nice. expect that to be upgraded. Um, I've always found that app to be very enjoyable just from a completely nerdy standpoint of like, hey, how many, how what percentage of, you know, Riot Active have, have I been? Well, t- t- tell the listeners a little bit about the app though. So basically you, you, it keeps track of the set list of every single show ever. Mm-hmm. And you then plug in which shows you've been to and it keeps statistics for you of how many times you've seen any, any song, what percentage of each album you have seen. Um, all those kinds of stats are, are there for you along with Pearl Jam stats in general, how many times they've played a certain song. That's, um, so right. I mean, you, we both had the album. I'm sorry, the app. Pardon me, but it, it is astounding how you can click on an album like I'll just say no code, and it will, as you said, show you the track listing for the album, every song on it, how many times you have seen it, and yeah. whether or not you've seen it at all. Right. So, like right now, I have it up on my phone here, and if I go to um, stats, my stats, and I'll go by times seen descending. The song I've seen the most, no surprise, is Alive, followed by Even Flow and Do the Evolution. The song I've seen the least is probably, there's like 12 songs that I've seen only once, you know, Thumbing My Way, Thin Air, Swallowed Whole, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So that kind of helped guide me because there's probably, I probably had a list of like 10 songs that I really wanted to see. Like I, I, I love Breath. And I love Garden, and I and I've never seen Pilot before. I'd love to see Pilot because <laughs> it's just one of those, you know, funky little numbers that just never gets played. Like that'd be awesome to. But I have kind of worn it down, and my first song. This is in no particular order. My first song is Who You Are. Ah, I have never heard the song. Eclectic. Yes, I put it on today. And I go, man, this would be kind of cool to hear live, especially now. I feel like they would do it in a, it, obviously it would not sound like it did with Jack, but I think they could do something really, really cool with it. Um, so I would want to hear that. The next song um, is a song I've seen twice before, but it's just too good for me to, for me to leave off. And that's Alone. Ah. That's Such a, a good song. Um, Great pick, Jason. I'm trying to think of the last time I saw that. I might have been. I, I could look it up on the on the app, but uh, I'll move on. The next song is the song we have in common. That's "Brother." Oh wow! Yes, I figured. You know, I've seen 100% of 10 and 100% of verses, but there's a couple little nuggets in there that <laughs> either I've seen it once or twice alone, or not at all, and. Have they ever played Brother in the- they, they they have actually. like a couple uh, of times maybe I I, I want to say three they played it once it was either, how long ago it was like ninety or ninety one yeah. either in San Francisco I think or at the Palladium here in L A I forget I have to look it up but uh, and then they played it again after Lost Dogs came out I think in one or two shows you you you, you actually if you go on iTunes you, you can hear. You can find this. I don't know if it's still available on there anymore, but there was a time where you could hear the cut and actually download it. But I've never heard it live personally, though. I mean, I've, I've heard it live as an MP3, but it's not quite the same. Yeah, no, I've, I've never heard that song. 
Uh, I'm actually going to look it up really fast because I just I'm just super curious. Well, while you're doing that, that could be. I, I will mention only that part of the reason that I would love to hear that song live as well is sometimes you hear a song and you you don't realize how it's going to cut life. A great example is a song like Infallible, right off mm -hmm. Lightning Bolt. When I hear that song on the album, it doesn't quite cut for me the same way as when I heard it live. Where when Mike comes in, man, you feel it in your yeah. bones, and you don't quite get. You'd have to turn the bass up on your amp or your speaker all the way up, and you'd have to blast it to the point where you feel like you're going to shatter windows to get a sense of what that song felt like the first time I heard it live. So a song like "Brother" to hear that live, I, I would just love to hear it rip. You know, uh, been played eight times total. Eight, okay, eight. more than I thought. The first time was here in LA, '91, and the mm. last time, believe it or not, 2010. 2010 in Newark, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. Um, and most between those two shows, it was played six times in 2009. That's that when odd? Lost Dogs came out, I think. No, Lost Wasn't Dogs it? was 2003. Oh, right, 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 2003. Yeah, that is a little bizarre. But I don't know why. And most of those are in, are in, uh, are in uh, Europe, except for Chicago and uh, Calgary. But anyways, huh. brother, um, would love to hear that. Purely because it's not purely, but mostly because it's super rare and that'd be cool to hear. Um, the other one I've seen twice as well. Uh, the last time, actually both times being in 2003 and that is wash. Mm. I love that song and I haven't heard it in 15 years and I want to hear it. It just, it's so powerful, especially towards the end. And I feel like, with gigaton they've kind of found this new sense of energy is the wrong word but they have like this new collective like oomph about them they feel, they feel like they not the music is necessarily energized but they feel energized and just really excited to play um and so i think a song like this it's got to be killing them to not be out there playing exactly exactly and actually came through in eddie's uh video uh prompting you know talking about this giveaway so that's that's in there, and then the last one is a song that I have never heard. Um, it's from Binaural. Oh, can I guess? Sure. You've never heard off Binaural uh -huh. parting parting ways. Uh, I don't know if I've never heard that song. I can't know off the top of my head, but the song is Rival. Ah, oh, nice. Uh, there is a version of Rival from the 2000 tour that you can find on YouTube that just blows me away every time I see it and you know that whole bring both barrels not one that oh god it just it's, it's <laughs> so good and I would love especially now again I would love to hear that song so who you are alone brother wash rival those are my five that's a great list man I love how different our lists were but but more importantly what I find infinitely far more interesting is how different our process was yeah. to arrive at those five. Well, cause like I figure I'm probably going to hear black and retrogrades a new song. So the chances are high that I'm going to hear it one of the two nights that I go to a show. So I'm not concerned about hearing those, even though I really do want to hear them. So like, give me some like rare nuggets that I might never hear. I like it. I like it. I approve. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> All right. I think we've concluded that. Uh, let's move on. All right, so that music is going to cue us up for a new little segment here 
we are calling, uh, aptly titled, Do the Evolution. It's going to be about um, some songs in the Pearl Jam catalog have experienced some sort of evolution. Uh, and we're going to talk about um, one of these songs today and how it's kind of changed and morphed over the years of playing it live. And uh, Paul, what, what song are we going to go with today? Well, you know, it's funny you ask, Jason, because the last segment actually serves as a really nice intro to this segment. I say that because the song Black is the one that we're going to play right now. And, uh, well, we're not going to play it in its entirety, but we are going to explore how the song has evolved. If you listen to that song during early year tours, you know, 92, 93, 94, and so on, it's very Ed-centric. You know, lyrically, it's one of his, his best uh, productions, I think. Um, that song, he, he always took center stage, especially towards the end of the song, you know, where he, 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 the emotion escalates. And if you listen to the album cut, you know, even during the solo at the end, it's very subdued, not in terms of its playing style, but in terms of, of where the levels are at. And his voice, you know, just kind of the fading in of, of, of his uh, wailing and so on, even then takes center stage for the song. However, I want to say sometime around the binaural tour, we saw perhaps earlier, but this is when I remember it happening. We saw a shift in the way the song was played live where I feel like, and, and I recall at this point in time, Ed actually sang. I have him sang on, on one of those albums. I think, you know, we don't play this song very often because it's really hard to sing. Uh, basically, it, it, I guess it taxes his voice to the mm. to the point where if he's not feeling it that day or whatever, he just doesn't put it on the list. But I think he found a way to sing it that allows the song to remain in circulation more often because what he's done essentially is downshift on the vocals. It's not as impassioned. It's not as, um, you know, it, it doesn't reach the same heights when he sings that it did when he was younger which makes sense on a lot of levels. Uh, some because I imagine whoever the song was written about, I mean, obviously the, the man is, is married and has two beautiful kids with, with someone else now. And so I imagine that those emotions are, are you know, not nearly <laughs> what, what they were before. But also I feel that uh, he just can't maybe hit some of those notes anymore. I don't know, because it, there's just a certain level of, of, of angst that he probably doesn't feel anymore, you know, but I would imagine after, you know, what does the guy have a bottle of wine to show, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a whole, like basically all of avocado that was just cigarette induced singing. So it's uh, at least live. So I, I kind of feel like uh, something had to be done if we wanted to keep hearing the song played live and they figured out a recipe that works. And the way it works now, if you listen to this song live, as anyone listening to this can attest to is that, his lyrics have essentially taken a backseat to Mike's solo. And when you hear the song played live now, that emotion, that emotive angst now is essentially manifested through the guitar, which I think is very appropriate in a lot of ways. And Mike's solo, it, it's different every time. He never plays it the same way. And, and that's one of the reasons why I was so obsessed with only buying albums during that binaural tour that had the song on it, because I wanted to hear what that 
solo was going to sound like you know it's almost like you got to hear the song differently every time which you can't say that about the majority of songs in their catalog so that's one of the few beautiful tracks where literally every time you hear it it's going to be different as soon as ed's done singing you're going to hear something different and this particular way that he plays the solo uh it's it's the guitar, I mean, to, to borrow a line from the Beatles, man, my guitar gently weeps, but it, it's not gently weeping. It is just like wailing with unparalleled, just angst, man. It it just cries out to the heavens. So it, it's a song that has evolved in the way it is played live. And one of these days, I'm really hoping that we'll see them play a show similar to what we saw with uh, Metallica's S&M album, where they sit down with an orchestra. Mm. And it, it's that song is so ripe for that kind of a backing that I'd love to hear it one day. You know, it's funny you say the the symphonic backing because if you recall, there was some sort of, I don't know if it was VH1 or what it was, but probably seven or eight years ago, they played at um, UCLA and they played, uh, maybe, you know, it might have been like a Who tribute because they did did The Real Me and they did Love Rain Over Me and uh, Love Rain Over Me included um, like a partial symphony. Right. So you got a little bit more of a taste of, of what that, that orchestral could be. background exactly right. um but to your point about this song evolving you know it there's been some like you know s- sort of superficial things that have changed over the years i mean stone has kind of changed how he what what guitar he plays you know it, it's obviously a clean electric guitar you know there's a couple effects on it on the, on the album track and then it evolves into maybe a light distortion and then he changes it to like a steel string mm-hmm. to an acoustic like he's kind of right. he's always trying to make it sound a little bit new to him i think um so there's that but then there's also the whole thing of like hey you know ed like you said you know maybe can't hit those notes the same way that he really means to or maybe the song doesn't have the same impact because his his romantic life has completely changed on top of the fact that you know, in two thousand two, they add another member in Boom Gaspar. Mm-hmm. He, he can he can add a bed to the song that completely changes or lifts even higher, you know, the emotion of the song and allowing Ed to I'm sorry, allowing Mike to kind of do his thing over the addition of Boom with the crowd taking over mm-hmm. the do 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 do. You know, there's there's a couple more layers that weren't available before. On top of the um, the conscious effort to switch it more to a mic thing, at least in the back half of the of the, no, song. it's definitely Mike's song now. Exactly. So um, there's, I think there's a few, like you're right. There's a few factors there that kind of kind of shifted the thing. And I don't, I don't know that you really ever heard so- that version or that song longer than you know six minutes before no. that time. And now it can be like an eleven minute song because they're just yeah. jamming on it. So I. Um, it's interesting how that's evolved and it's interesting to see what other songs we can kind of dive into uh, in this segment because I find it truly fascinating. Moving on to the Lyric of the Week. All right, Paul. So this week's Lyric of the Week comes from Black. And here it is.
All right, Paul. So this lyric, um, I we picked this one because it's the crescendo of the song, right? It's it's the last real lyrics of the song. It's it's the apex of the emotion, at least to me. And from a personal standpoint, um, this song always kind of hit me in a way because I feel like I had a lot of similar similarly romantic problems of you know yearning for a girl or two um one in particular many many years ago um they just kind of didn't didn't i didn't ever get to be with and i always kind of yearned for it and it just didn't happen you know the timing was wrong we kind of miss each other and mm-hmm. so when i hear this part of the song it kind of brings me back to that it's not bittersweet anymore it's not it doesn't make me sad it reminds me of when I was listening to the song, when it was appropriate, you know, back then, mm-hmm. how it made me feel, which is the constant theme of the band, is it always feels like it's the friend listening to your problems and and having that empathy back to you. Right. So in this instance, it was not being able to have the love that I wanted. Um, right. So very directly, this line or these lines specifically hit me, and it, it, it kind of. Hit you in the cockles even still today. <laughs> it really does. I can honestly say that it, to this day, I still think it's the best set of lyrics he's ever written. Really? I really do. And he's written some amazing lyrics. He really has. But that one has always hit home for me. And and like you, I think it speaks to me on a very personal level. Uh, it, it, I, I may have mentioned this actually on another podcast, but if I haven't, then this won't seem so redundant. But when I first heard that song, you know, it was slow. And I actually, I was in a phase of my youth where I, I just wanted everything to just hit hard, you know? So I got like 30 seconds in the song. Like, this is boring movie. <laughs> skip. <laughs> it was on the skip list <laughs> until eventually I was like, you know what, man, just fuck it. I'm going to listen to the whole album from beginning to end. And I got through the chorus of the song and I said, wow, that was a, that, that, that was a cool hook. And once obviously the song crescendos and you get that outro, I was in love. I was in love with the song in the same way that the speaker is in love with the subject. And I think that uh, what's fascinating about it is this whole concept of the one who got away, mm-hmm. which is something that as, as we grow older, we start to realize that it, if it didn't happen, it didn't mean that she or he got away. You know what I mean? Like in order to constitute got away, it means that it was there. You were together and something fate, the world, you know, war extenuating something intervened and said, I'm sorry, you can't be together. Right. right. That's very different than, Hey, I like you, but you don't feel the same way about me. Right. And so I, I, when I was younger, it, it meant if I wanted someone who didn't want me, then that lyric resonated, right? It's like, why can't it be mine? Well, it can't be yours, idiot, because she doesn't want to be that star. Right. And I think that over time, I began to kind of see the, the lyric representing something that kind of goes hand in hand with this idea of ego, right? That we're, we're, we're always wanting and wanting to satiate. And there's a sadness in that we, it's, there's no switch to turn that off unless you're a Buddhist monk and you somehow found Nirvana, right? And by Nirvana, I mean actual Nirvana, not the band. 
Not that there's anything wrong with the band. Love the band. But so <clears throat> now when I listen to the song, I still love it. I still adore it because it captures what I think is a, a, a yearning, um, an element, a part of love that is very uh, primal, but not necessarily in a sexual way. Primal in a emotive way, primal in, in, in a desire for connection, because he's not saying, you know, why can't I take you to bed? He's saying, you know, I, you'll always be a star in my sky. And actually, funny enough, there was a period where he, they would play the song live and he would change that to sun. You know, I know you'll be a sun. And I think now <clears throat> about that song and those lyrics and the way it comes together, there's just a desire for something that you can't have. And that could represent anything. You know, Eric Clapton wrote tears in heaven for his lost son. You know, he, he, he lost a child yeah. and, and you know, you, you could write a song about uh, how many people, what, what was the city that, uh, God, man, you, you'll know this. It was a city that was affected by the fires down here and they lost like everything. Paradise. Um, Paradise. Thank you. So, you know, you, you, that song could represent that, you know, yeah. like why, why can't I have my home back? I mean, so I, I feel like now those lyrics, much like alive, the lyrics have been repurposed by the band after rock slide. I almost feel like the line, the, the lines of this song, he has embraced as a way to repurpose in such a way that it means something very different to him now than it did back then. And I think for the listener, you know, for the audience in the, in the crowd, those that are sitting there listening to the song, you could, you could take those lyrics and it could represent anything, you know, it doesn't have to be romantic love. So for me, I think those lyrics really, really stand out a lot and uh, they had, they continue to resonate and they haven't lost their luster despite the fact that the, the meaning has changed. Very good. Uh, let us then move on to... It's uh, Paul's live cut of the week, and of course, we will be doing black. Uh, Paul, when is this uh, going to be coming from? Well, you know the parameters, my man. It's I do. Come, got to come from the tour of the of, of the song. So, uh, if if possible. So, in in this case, I was trying to find the best cut of this song from 1992. I wanted something off the ten tour, and uh, I for, there there was a time where I had. I think it was like 12 or 13 tracks long as a CD. And it was literally just black played live 12 times. And that's how obsessed with this song I was. And I, I, I was on the hunt. I know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the hunt for the best version uh -huh. ever. And what I think is the best version ever for this song is a, a track from their show in Newcastle, Riverside in Newcastle, England on February 22nd, 1992. There were 600 people in attendance. It's a small room. It's an intimate show. It was their first European show. And the band listens. They stop playing as the fans start like yelling out the lyrics of Hunger Strike. And a, a group of fans start singing about, you know, um, they start singing Hunger Strike, right? I don't mind stealing, mm -hmm. right? And they're singing and singing. And Ed stops them. And says, wow, you know, that was really great. You know, I'm going to play that for Chris. He'd be really proud. And when I listen to the song now, I just, there's something about my choosing of this version of the track so many years ago that when I think about it now with Chris having sadly been lost to us, 
I can easily see him looking when he sings the song up at the heavens, seeing his friend and thinking, you know, uh, you are a, a star in someone's sky. Mm. You always have been, you know, but, but you can't be in mine anymore, you know, uh, or maybe he looks up, sees the stars and says, now you are, you know, why can't it be mine? And there's a certain positive uh, reaffirmation here that says you are a star in my sky. I'm just, I don't know. There's something about this version where there was that connection to Chris and then they launch right into black. And it is one of the most intense, just impassioned versions of the song I've, ever heard so for me this one definitely takes the cake all right let's have a listen it is february 22nd 1992 in newcastle england i'll play that for chris he'll be really proud
gets me every time. Um, you know what I noticed uh, that I actually forgot about was that the pace of that seems a little bit slower than than the album, and it kind of makes it. It, it some some way that amplifies the emotion even more. The fact that it's just a tiny bit slower to me, just a half step, right? You know, um, but man, it, the, it's loud though. You know, that's the one of yeah. those few cuts from that era where you get a most of them. The uh, even the soundboard ones that they're, they're really I don't want to say muted, but they're just they're not quite as amplified. And that one, for whatever reason, maybe it's, it was recorded in a smaller room, you know, it just really hits. There's actually a version out there and I'm hoping somebody listening to this can, can help us, but there's a version out there of that song from that show that doesn't have that. Uh, there's kind of like a, not that there's anything wrong with it, but there's, there's a bit of like a reverby kind of, we are playing in a, in a room feel to it. Right. Mm. Uh, in terms of sound quality and it works it's 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 great sound quality I, I give it an a but there's a version of it that's that's cleaner and it almost sounds like they're playing in an open air arena hmm. and i had that version years ago and i foolishly i don't know i got lost on a hard drive that crashed or something so if anybody has that version let us know for paul please for me um two more notes that i have about this um the I'm surrounded by some kids that play. Mm-hmm. Ooh, like the way he sings that, he kind of goes up. He he kind of goes right. up in his pitch that he doesn't do on the album. That always kills me. And then I don't know when he really started doing the We Belong Together tag. But man, it just, he still does it every now and again to this day. But something about the way he sang, sang it back then, man. Well, yeah, there was, it, it was intended, you know, there was yeah. an intention there. Exactly. And uh, yeah. Man. Incredible. Well, that's an all-timer for sure. Obviously, you want to hear it again. You want to hear it as part of your five when you go meet Eddie. I do indeed. <laughs> Not if I beat you to it. <laughs> I'll take uh, brother and wash, please, Mr. Butter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anywho, uh, guys, thanks for listening once again. And uh, we will see you on the next edition of The State of Love and Trust. Love and Trust.